I'm thrilled to announce that TSK has returned as headline sponsor for another season. We all see that the world of work has changed. We've seen a true workplace revolution in the last few years. The line between work and life is blurred. We believe the fundamentals of this change is here to stay. When you're a leader in that environment, you're probably having those ongoing questions through the uncertainty, questions around how we can draw people back to the workplace, how we can stay competitive, where are staff supposed to work, and we measure office utilization. How do we transition into hybrid working? How do we maintain the company culture and how much space do we actually need? Why do we even need an office? TSK has spent over two decades helping some of the world's biggest brands to create inspiring places to work for their people. Working with them to create robust workplace strategies, creative design solutions, and quality built environments. TSK's track record is impressive and we wanted to share some of those insights and stories with our listeners here on the Workable Podcast. Well-known global brand, Kellogg's, has always maintained their values for a concrete and positive company culture, expressing this as hashtag like at K. This was most important at the Dublin offices, home of the Kellogg's European headquarters. In 2019, TSK, our headline sponsor, began working with Kellogg's to realize their dream workplace to help their local and European community thrive. But then an unforeseen global event turned the project on its head. More on that later in the show. Welcome back to the Work Bowl podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and we're back with another collaboration. I bumped into fellow podcaster Louisa Dickens at Nipple in March. Louisa is co-founder of PropTech recruitment firm, LMRE, and is also famous for hosting the PropCast podcast. After snapping our obligatory selfie, as one does, we said it'd be cool to collaborate on a podcast together. So I invited her to the Exchange of 22 Bishops Gate to record and test out our new podcast studio. Then I thought, you know what else would be cool? What if James Goldsmith from AXA Investment Managers could join this episode too? Then Louisa could be our celebrity guest host, and interview James and I on what's changed since the episode we did together in season one. So here we are. In this episode, James shares the vision behind 22 Bishopsgate. We talk about the importance of community, positive company cultures, and amenitizing the workplace experience. Louisa asked how we partnered to launch the exchange on level seven, and we ended up talking management agreements, the growth and demand for flex, and a whole lot more. I'm so glad we got to test out the podcast studio because we discovered one of our mics had a fault. That's been corrected now, but you'll see what I mean when we get into the episode. We almost pulled it as a result, but the content was just too good. Shout out to Jeff for his post-production magic to publish this episode. But don't worry, Louisa, you sound great. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Earlier in the show, we introduced the beginning of a workplace transformation for Kellogg's European headquarters. To tell you more about that story, let's hear from the design and build team behind the project, TSK. Our existing relationship with Kellogg's spanned back to 2018 when we designed and delivered their world-class UK head offices in Manchester. We were ready to raise the bar in Dublin 
building a strategy to see the team move from two buildings into one unified, open plan and connected space at Dublin Airport. The design had been agreed, work was already underway, then COVID hit. Headlines like, the office is dead, is remote working here to stay, were circulating and businesses around the globe were reconsidering what the purpose of the office was for them. But if anything, it solidified the work we were about to do. We wanted to create a space which is more representative of our brand, the way we've innovated and changed in the market. We wanted our offices to look and feel like that as well. It sort of comes back to our four C's about connection, creativity, culture and collaboration. Today we are recording from the exchange at 22 Bishop's Gate and I'm delighted to be recording with the famous Caleb Parker from Workbold and James Goldsmith from AXA Investment Managers who is Head of Leasing. For those who don't know me, my name is Louisa Dickens, founder of LMRE, the global property technology recruitment firm. We've got operations across UK, Europe, North America, APAC, so if you're looking for a job or to hire, please reach out. Similarly to Caleb, I also host a podcast called The Propcast, which is all around real estate technology, as you could probably guess. But um, when I first started my podcast, it was the beginning of the pandemic, with a mission to bridge the gap between real estate and technology. Caleb was there to sort of help me on my first phone call, along with Jason Allen Scott. So big shout out to them and thank you for your help along the way. But before we start, a few fun facts about this building. I think it's the second highest, if I'm correct, and the largest office building. I don't know. Time to bring you in, James. Yeah, I thought you might say that. Actually, uh, I'm not entirely sure. It's the second tallest in London. Someone told me we're the 12th tallest in Europe. I can't verify that. We are uh, the best part of 1.5 million square foot. And you know, these are statistics that I always ban everyone from saying. As a real estate industry, we love talking about facts and the what. And actually, we should be talking much more about the why. And these are the facts that we hold on to. But you know, the why is a much harder thing to articulate. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be doing on this show. But yeah, to also some of what else we're going to talk about. We're talking about this office space, this building, why it's different, how has it reacted to the changing needs of occupiers, how do you get people back to work. I'm sure the strategy might have changed pre and post COVID, so James will be talking about this. And then obviously we'll be talking a lot more about uh, the exchange, which obviously Caleb is leading the way with. And then obviously I'll be asking James and Caleb what they see happening for the rest of 2022 and a few years to come with um, more an ever-changing world and workspace. So obviously everyone knows who Caleb is, now everyone knows who I am, and the listeners might not all know who uh, James is. So James, give the audience a quick introduction to your role at AXA and the world of leasing. Uh, so yeah, look, my name is James Goldsmith. I joined the AXA real estate team back in May 2016, and that, that date is better shot on my mind. About three weeks before we decided to have a vote and, uh, and leave the European Union. Mm. And perhaps we'll come on to that a little bit later, but it did you know, make us you know, rethink about you know, how we're going to develop, uh, develop this building. I joined PaxRAM to run the leasing marketing and, and, and activating 22 Bishop's Gate. Before that, actually, I was uh, fulfilling a similar role at the Shard. And a lot of the things we learned there, this for me was a brilliant opportunity to put some of those things into action, but mm. onto, a, uh, onto a blank canvas. Amazing. And you guys first met, was uh, the Cavis podcast has been going for a while now, it's 2020. And this is before the practical completion, obviously, of 22 Bishop's Gate. So... That was obviously before the world completely changed, as Caleb put it kindly on a previous podcast. And so what was that like? What was the obviously strategy, the vision behind this building before? And obviously we'll go into a bit 
what the strategy is for it now. You know, you're building one and a half million square foot. It, it wasn't just about putting up offices, leasing them on the nice rents to the fewest number of tenants. Conventionally, that is how you would create value. But our proposition was we always wanted to build um, something that was around people. So rather than looking at it from a developer or an investor perspective, we were really looking at it from the occupiers. Successful companies, as you well know, you know, employ the best people. And if you have successful companies you're building, you're going to have a sustainable long-term income flow. So that proposition, you know, which we identified right at the outset, actually held some you know, in a, in a very good place throughout the pandemic. And, you know, for us, the success will be the diversity and the quality of the occupiers. Yeah. And can you give us like an example of an occupier could be? Because I know your space sort of varies from obviously being flex, more long-term leases, podcasts you guys did back in 2020. So if those listening in, check it out. I think you said 25% was flex which is obviously where we saw the world sort of going. What's the variety or the difference between, I guess, more longer term leases and sort of flex at the moment? Yeah, actually, I think that podcast, Caleb, was December 2019, wasn't it? So it was just ahead of the, uh, of the pandemic. Yeah, we recorded it in December 19, just before Christmas. And then I think it came out in February, probably still before the pandemic. And, uh, and I think it was uh, in that podcast, you broke down the, 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 the fact that you have uh, 20-something percent dedicated to space as a service mm-hmm. or amenity space. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, w- it would be in total. So mm-hmm. within the one and a uh, half million square foot, is we have uh, about 100,000 square foot of what we'd call you know, amenity spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, the flex thing was an interesting. At that time, we were looking at you know what most corporates were saying, and they're saying we would like our portfolio to be say typically twenty yeah. percent flex, and therefore we thought, well, if we look at this building, that would mean about two hundred and fifty thousand square foot would be. Flex. <laughs> that that is a big number. Yeah. We thought that is probably um, that is probably too much. So we were originally working on the idea of about about a hundred hundred twenty five thousand yeah. square foot of flex. We've taken a bit of a rain check. <laughs> Um, well, because we, during the pandemic, yeah. we, you know, we saw that the flex operators were having quite a tough time because people were flex, they weren't coming into the office and therefore they could move out. I still think flex is going to be a really important part of people's portfolio in the longer term. But as occupiers are coming back, they're not filling their offices. And I think everybody is just looking at how, you know, how they work. But what is clear is that corporates increasingly don't want to be in a real estate industry. They want to try and uh, ask their, their landlord to take on more and more real estate risk, which sounds entirely sensible. Yeah. What's sort of another sort of major trend which you see in like sort of post pandemic and what the occupier is looking for is it to do with um we obviously before we started this podcast we spoke about businesses like edge technologies which is about healthy smart buildings. I mean this building certainly looks smart but is it like technically sort of smart. It, it is technically smart. <laughs> it's, it's also very healthy. We designed this building, in fact, we're the first building to actually design it to meet the well accreditation. So in terms of encouraging people to take exercise, providing healthy food, um, you know, greater quality of fresh air, better light, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things create a better working environment. If you're in a better working environment, people are going to be more productive. Yeah, I, I think the well-being movement was mm. very much there before the pandemic, but that has only accelerated whilst people have been away. But in terms of workplace practice, and Caleb, you know, do, do chime in here, mm. I think the thing we have 
seen. And the, um, by the way, everyone is trying to work out what the future of the workplace is. We've defined the future. <laughs> Anthony of the Sanders is permanently talking about it. <laughs> well, well, and, and, and that's mm-hmm. a very good friend and a fantastically provocative voice in our industry. Yeah, far, far better for him. Same. But uh, as I said, you know, once we define the future of the workplace, it's probably the past. You know, it's, it's going to be constantly evolving and always dynamic, and that can only be a, a good thing. What we have seen, I'd say, universally, is that people are actually trying to use less space. And that can, that can only be a good thing if you think about sustainability. Yeah. Fairness, but using less space, but using it more productively. Um, so when generally we're seeing non-assigned desking now not many people come in and have their own desk mm-hmm. every day you just have to book it as when you yeah. use it um, but then more breakout space you know for team meetings and um, you know great greater flexibility of use as I said I think that's, that's going to be a positive thing yeah is there anything Caleb you'd like to add on that well I think that was a profound statement James made about the future of work by the time you get there it's already the past that's fantastic <laughs> I think <laughs> And uh, if, if I can diverge for a second and go back and, and first of all, commend you in, uh, for your podcast because well done. And, and I'll also say that people know James for probably years longer than they've known me. So James is the famous one. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just here in his world. So, uh, <laughs> But um, no, I think uh, James hit the nail on the head and, and people are still, everyone's still trying to figure out what, what, how do we operate in this new world? Um, but one thing's for sure, people still need to come back together. People want to come back together. Mm. They don't need to be in an office every single day necessarily, but they want to come together. And I think the, the future of, of the office per se is creating environments where people feel like they can come together easily. They come together for a purpose and the, the space enables them to collaborate with other people, but also yep. do their own thing. This is like another thing you spoke about previously. It's like, how do you measure success? Which every company, whether you're a scale-up, larger, old-school real estate company that's been in space for however long, everyone's trying to measure how do we make our workforce more productive. So what you're saying is, how can you measure it? Like, James, I'm sure there's a few things that you have looked at and you've also spoken about in terms of, yeah, measuring success, because I think you mentioned, obviously, client retention. Is it a successful, productive behaviours we spoke about? But obviously, before we hopped onto this podcast, everyone, we were saying one size doesn't fit all. And all of us in this room can't decide what is perfect. We all agree there's an element of flexibility and flex office is definitely needed. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think historically, commercial real estate, we, we've created a big white box and, and had companies sign up to that white box for, for decades. And then it was on the company to brand that box and they brand the box and tell all their team members that they have to fit into this branded box. And people did it. But the fact is that not everybody was happy about it. Everybody's different. Everybody has different preferences. And until we had this pandemic, everyone's voice wasn't appreciated. Now everyone's voice is being listened to and companies now need to cater to all sorts of different um, needs and wants and desires. And now they're asking their landlord to help them with that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting. Someone um, interviewed me the other day because they've been tasked with the, the question of, you know, how, how do we value office space? Is there an alternative way to what we're doing now, which is taking a rent and then multiplying it by yield? 
And I said, you know, look, for me, a successful office or a good office building is one that fosters successful companies. Successful companies will make good profit or whatever their potential objectives. You know, successful companies will always attract good people. So companies want space that is going to be able to achieve that for them. But it's actually about the quality and diversity and the success of those companies because if they are successful, other companies want to come into that building. And that is much more sustainable and self-fulfilling prophecy. So we have to rely less on the mm. to establish value, but actually more on the underlying real estate, but critically how we manage that real estate. Going forward, that's probably going to take a very different skill set to what we've traditionally done in our industry. So right now we're sitting in the exchange on level seven, 22 Bishop's Gate, which is um, obviously one of Caleb's amenity spaces, which might I say, are gorgeous. I walked in, I was greeted with a coffee by one of Caleb's lovely staff that works here. It has the most stunning views of the city and it's blue sky and yeah, it's pretty dreamy. So if you haven't looked it out, check it out. Little shout out for James and Caleb here. But for the listeners who haven't had the pleasure of coming here today, can you please talk us through like what the exchange actually is? You know, why is it popular? It's pretty busy in here today. Why would people come here? Well, in, in, in short, the exchange is it's an innovation exchange and it's a place where people come because they feel like it's a community that they can plug into and grow, grow their minds, grow their business, grow their connections. One of the things, uh, you know, J- James and I, obviously we did the podcast in 2019, but we've known each other much longer thanks to our, our mutual friend Anthony Slumbers mm. who made that introduction many years ago. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've uh, found very impressive about the 22 Bishop's Gate project um, back before it, it PC'd um, was how they were looking at making an impact and uh, on the community. And you, you, you hear all this buzz about ESG and uh, I, I talked to somebody the other day and they thought mm-hmm. it was E was environment, S was sustainability, and G was governance. And I was like, wait a minute, no, S is social impact, mm. S is social. And um, 22 Bishopsgate um, is, in, in that podcast that we recorded, he, James talked about adding extra value. Mm. And, you know, he just mentioned about how do we value buildings and adding extra value. Well, coming into the city of London and, and being able to uh, offer a place that entrepreneurs can come into and access an amazing building that usually companies like the big fan companies, the Fortune 500 companies can only access amenities for their employees. So if you work for Apple or Netflix or Facebook, you access these amazing amenities. But if you work for an SME or you start your own business, you typically don't have the budgets to know that. <laughs> so when we had the opportunity to sit down and talk to James and his team about level seven, and what that meant to the building. Uh, this was, I think I can quote James as saying, the heart and soul of the building, if I, if I don't misquote. Well, I said that about level seven. I think you did, but I, I, I still remember <laughs> um, my former development director, Harry Badham, he always thought it was level two where we have all the food. You know, families that eat together, stay together, and you know, food, food is more than fuel. I think level two is the fuel for the stomach and level seven is the fuel for the mind. Very good. There we go. Um, but. I got really excited about about Level 7 because the opportunity for us to create a a community for thinkers, a community for people who are challenging the status quo, uh, people who are, dare I say, bold, that are creating uh, amazing ideas and putting them into the world to make the world a better place. And uh, the ability to offer these entrepreneurs, democratize the amenity experience Mm. so they can have access to the same 
talent acquisition tools, so to speak. But also, innovation doesn't happen in the silo. Innovation happens when people come together and when you take these creatives and bump them into corporates in, 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 in a building, cool things happen. And that's what level seven is. That's what the exchange is. Yeah, can I just just give a little bit of context to that um, action? And I like the way you describe that, Caleb. No, several years ago, we were putting together our sustainability strategy for the building. We got a big working group together. It was a brilliant morning, and actually, we're thinking, "Hang on, this is this is an awful lot more about sustainability." And you know, by the way, the importance of that is you know, it's it's overwhelming, and we all know that. And actually, we 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 actually defined four pillars in terms of how this building will be managed and what it stands for. The first was sustainability. The second was well-being. We mm. touched on that and why that is yeah. so important to people's behaviour. The third is inclusivity, and there is so much research to you know, talk about you know, diverse groups of people mm-hmm. are much more successful. And the fourth one that I, I thought was really important is, uh, is knowledge. You know, why would you want to come into a big building? It's about sharing knowledge. It's societies that share knowledge uh, and communities that do so are more successful and more sustainable. And there's a really good book written by Matthew Syed, and he's, he's written several, but this one is rebel ideas, the power of diverse thinking. And there's there's, a, there's an anecdote in there which I thought was so powerful and I use all the time. Caleb, you might know Route 28 in Massachusetts, just, just north of Boston. Back in the 1970s and the 1980s, all the big American tech companies were located on Route 28. They were big buildings there outside of the main town. People would arrive in cars, they had to go through security mm-hmm. gates to get in there, they signed NDAs, they couldn't tell their friends where they were, everything was secret. So they created these silo buildings where they captured information, um, they maintained IP and they ran you know, efficient processes. At exactly that time, there were kids in jeans and t-shirts working on the West Coast, out of garages, small companies that would share ideas mm. the whole time. Today, none of those companies on Route 28 exist. Look at what's now happening on the West Coast of America, the success of the tech companies that have come out of there. So it is this idea of actually sharing knowledge yep. which creates success. Yeah, we've seen um, different businesses adopt different ideas of getting back to the office space. You saw Airbnb uh, go completely remote. I personally don't think completely remote works whatsoever. I completely support what you said about innovation happens when you share ideas and you bring different people together. But do you see big tech businesses like, is it Facebook, Google, they're trying to get some of their data and engineering talent back, but they're so happy working at home. And then there's all, we spoke about the four-day working week, which is obviously being adopted in some parts of Europe. What works? I literally have no idea. Caleb's looking at me now, and it's so nice to be able to do this in person. Caleb, please add in whatever you would like to. Oh, no. I I mean, I I first have to hold my hand up and say, um, I'm a fan of remote work, but I'm I'm a bigger fan of choice and as I said earlier I think you know we need to be face to face sometimes and we want to be and we need to have dynamic places that we can go to um, but I'm, I'm, I've been following what these big companies are doing and I think the ones who are preparing for a remote first world but also given their teams and office as a yeah. tool and the platform of work. Mm-hmm. That's the winning solution in my opinion, but we're still figuring that out. So I don't have the right, all the solutions today. Yeah, I think also from my side, uh, what 
Elamari is saying it's everyone, all candidates want that op- op- option. Everyone wants that. Uh, it's almost been giving that autonomy to make the choice they want to come to work, making everyone feel they've got a bit of power. And you got to make the office really, really attractive that people aren't just looking for higher salaries, they're looking for office culture, they're looking for healthy buildings, they're looking for space where they can go make friends. You know, you spend, you know, work is such a big part of people's careers, but also. James and I were talking about this when we get back and James potentially said I was a little bit cynical but quite often you are more likely to get promotion there's stats to prove this if you're in front of your manager unfortunately and they sort of buy into you and sort of see you maybe being a future manager and you're just performing in front of them so it's Obviously, as everyone listening in today, we all have slightly different views on this because no one quite knows the perfect solution. James, do you want to add in something I'll, there? I'll give you one of those looks. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think that was a little bit cynical, but I think you're probably true. Well, I'm not sure you are true because you'd have far more evidence than that than I would. Now, I remember shortly into lockdown, somebody turned around me and said, Don't worry, James, this will all be back to normal soon. And I said, I said Look, Helen, going through this lockdown, you know, people's health, people's lives, are crashing the economy. If we go back to normal, surely, surely that's a missed opportunity. Out of chaos can come good things. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we, we've learned some, really, some very good habits working from home. That, for example, the use of tech. You know, when I was, you know, people, people drink water out of a London tap, they don't drink it out of plastic bottles that have been shipped in from the islands of Scotland. People send things electronically rather than just hitting print all the time. Mm. But I think more than anything else, we, we've learned to trust each other. Yeah, this has also come down to obviously increased tech adoption, which like we asked about this building, you know, what sort of tech are you using? You also mentioned you've hired, you know, uh, in your management team, they all came from outside real estate. I presume they come from maybe a background in tech, an innovation consultancy. I could be wrong here, but I imagine... I, I, I mentioned before that the value of the building isn't the leases. You know, you have to look at the underlying mm. real estate, but but critically, it's the management of mm. the building. And the person we recruited uh, most recently is uh, is Sarah Sarah Fenningham, and uh, she is our commercial service manager because within this building, all the amenity spaces are operated through management agreements. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we as surveyors thought, well, if we set up this magic agreement, if the partner has a bit of skin in the game, if we have business plans, then we have experts, these things should work quite well. But actually what Sarah brought is, with her experience is that ability to sort of ask the best questions and bring the best insight mm-hmm. and hold all our partners to account. And she's been incredibly uh, important to the success of this building. And sorry, by saying that, I should just add that Sarah's background she used to work at the Natural History Museum and before that at the National Theatre where she was responsible for commercialisation, brand, advertising yeah. and food. And it's, it's just been invaluable for a building. Well, that's what I was saying about the new skill set that we need uh, in our industry. Well, it's so good to say that and I'm permanently talking about different career pathways you can come in from, like with permanent LMRE, looking at different industries people can move in from. And it's it's exciting what's happening to real estate, especially post the pandemic. Now, we spoke about, obviously, management agreements, uh, which are obviously growing popularity. Caleb, can you sort of share a bit of details how, obviously, this uh, came about, the sort of deal which you guys have struck? Well, it, it was interesting. J- James and I, as I said earlier, we, we've known each other for quite some time, and I was pitching James many years ago about the opportunity to come into the building, and, and then the opportunity wasn't there. My company was a, was a little bit early stage at the time. We hadn't had the new flex transaction, and after we did, they had already sorted their amenity space, and then COVID hit. 
And um, on the back of COVID hitting, James, feel free to go into the details if you want, but it opened up an opportunity for, for us. And we had a conversation about this opportunity and, and the, the level seven um, project. And, and, and we looked at the brief and I said, James, you know what? Let me take this brief away and digest it because it's uh, very comprehensive. Uh, you have some specific desires. You, you have a, a whole, it's almost like a brand playbook, but I, li- I love it. So I went away and had some internal conversations with my team and what we've done across our portfolio, what we're doing with our parent company, and how we're supporting entrepreneurs across the UK already. And so uh, came back and said, James, I think, I think we've got something here. Can, can you formally invite us to bitch? And he did. And, and then well, this history and we're here. And here we are now recording. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to say that the decision we made wasn't just by looking at a spreadsheet. You know, for, for us, it was very much, do we like the people? Do we trust the people? Are they bringing good ideas? Are they challenging us? You know, that's something I mentioned earlier, Louise. You know, if, we, if we're all thinking the same, then we're not going to come up with ideas. So it was about working with people we trusted that would bring something additional. And obviously, Caleb is one of your partners. There's another partner on a different level, which it's they call Convene, obviously run by Ryan. They were started in uh, the US. It's a different sort of product, though, uh, from what I've seen from when I was last here for a JL event, isn't it? So talk us through that. And yeah. what, also, why did you, two different uh, partners, obviously different selection processes, talk us, how did you get these two amazing partners? Yeah, actually, Ryan came over and I, I met him. I think it was back in October 2016. So it was a, you know, it was a very long courtship. Um, but they, they had a great idea. They were really about running amenities and buildings. That's what we were putting in. So that's where the conversation started. Um, what Convene really excel at is conferencing space and event space. And we always wanted that uh, facility within the building. Yeah, so uh, in fact, it was I think, about two weeks ago that they had their grand opening and so far that looks like it's going to be very successful but Convene this this is their first operation outside of the US we went over and saw them sort of two or three times in New York but also the feedback we were getting from occupiers that were coming to this building many of whom were US domiciled they all knew of Convene and all spoke very positively of them. So for us, it was quite an easy decision. It was it was a long negotiation on getting the contract right. Beautiful. In terms of um, operators, uh, you've obviously got a mixture of them. Is there a standard deal template for that? And also there any sort of more examples of them as well? Yeah, I guess, yes, we, we, we have a gym, BXR. Uh, we have uh, Rhubarb, who are our catering partner. Lovely. Which is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to say they're all manage- management agreements. There are different nuances to all of them, but for us, it's about getting expert partners. Yeah. We like the idea of management agreements. We had a lot of discussion about this right at the outset. Management agreements give us greater control. Um, it comes with you know greater income risk, but in the context of the whole building, um, you know it's not significant. In fact, it dif- differentiates your mm. income a little bit. So you know that could be a positive thing. That could be a positive thing. But it, it is about just getting the right experts for what they do. And you know with managed agreements, I think it's fair to say, Caleb, we like people to have a little bit of skin in the game because that always helps. But it's it's about having a very open and transparent relationship. Agreed. Changing topics a bit. 
so obviously those who follow Caleb will know he's fairly active on social media, especially LinkedIn and Twitter. And Caleb often seems to bash the office in most of his posts. So how can you be in the real estate office industry but also promote working from home or, I don't know, these digital nomads in <laughs> Tulum, Mexico. <laughs> Hashtag WFA, working from anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've, I've had a few real estate friends ask me the same question and some of them get angry at, at my post sometimes, but I've sort of jumped in the Anthony Slumbers um, uh, train and be a sort of a, maybe a challenger of our industry because I, uh, I think we need to be challenged and, and push forward because... To me, there's a growing gap between supply and demand of what the old traditional real estate stock was providing and mm-hmm. what office customers want today. And when I say office customers, I don't mean companies. I mean the people that are coming into the building every day. Yeah. Um, people don't want to come in every day. And I think it's important for us in real estate to acknowledge that. And a lot of the times they don't want to come in, especially coming out of the pandemic, they don't want to go back to a toxic culture because there's a lot of toxicity out there. And I don't, I'm not going to get on a pedestal here, mm-hmm. but I think <laughs> I, I've said this many times on social media. But to me, the biggest risk to our industry is, is was not the pandemic. It's toxicity. It's toxic cultures. So if we're going to sell office space, we should be uh, championing really good company cultures in our industry. And so that's why that's why I bash the office all the time. But I don't really bash the office. I'm bashing the return to office hashtag yeah, uh, because we have to acknowledge that maybe people don't want to return to office every single day. How can we create dynamic places in, that, that great cultures can thrive in? That's the, that's the challenge. Yeah. I think it also on, from what LMRE has seen and the sort of, we work with a lot of businesses that would probably come into this building, scale up tech businesses who might be 10 people, then grow to 30, and then they might change from level to level. Who knows? But like, they obviously are hiring for, see the data and engineering people, will forever not want to return to the office. They are quite happy. You know what? For those roles, it's okay for them to be at home most of the week. But for the sales roles, the customer success roles, those sort of extroverts, those team building sort of roles, they really do need to be sitting together. Not for all the time, but I do think three days a week. It's so important having that open communication. Fine, you can be at teams the whole time, but it's not that sort of, you spoke about culture, it's not that atmosphere which gets these salespeople, I think, thriving and doing their job to the most to the best level. But then again, I do think on the contrary side, salespeople who have those sort of personalities, they do need some time at home because they need to be alone with their force. They need to do that admin. And it goes back to having good sort of CRM systems to make sure they're logging everything. And after they've done that Zoom sales call, they take half an hour to write it down, digest it. It's all about reflecting on the call you had to make sure you actually do something good, whether it's customer success, business development, I don't know, writing a lease after you've had a good call. I don't know what you think about that, James. Yeah, it's several thoughts. Um, <laughs> look, for, for, first of all, I think working from home is, you know, it's not available to everyone. It's a privilege if you can work at home and you've got a good environment somewhere. Mm. They've got the space, they might not mm. have the technology, they might just not have the, you know, the right, you know, sort of people dynamic there to be able to do it. So we shouldn't assume that's available to to everybody. Um, just, just going back to that point about Caleb, 
bashing the industry, sorry, bashing the, you know, <laughs> back to the office. I think it's really good if people challenge conventional thinking and the real estate industry, you know, has you know, been relatively conventional. Sometimes it takes an event, you know, really to sort of mix things up, uh, which we've just seen with the pandemic. But it also takes people sometimes from outside of industry to do something very different. Elon Musk, I don't think knew anything about cars 10 years ago, and look at him now, he's got a car business that's worth many multiples of the next car, you know, car businesses put together. And sometimes these events and these people come from outside of the industry are the ones that make the step change. Otherwise, it tends to happen very iteratively. Okay, now a question for me, which everyone, and we just spoke about the future of the office space. So only if you do hashtag of that on LinkedIn, about a million things will come out. Same on Twitter. No one knows the answer, but everyone says I'm being so cynical at the moment. And I'm not cynical because I think what's happened to the real estate world has been incredible in terms of tech adoption, cultures changing for the better people having more trust in their employees, mental health hopefully getting better as well, and so it's not the pressure, certain environments, offices improving, buildings since COP26 now having to become healthier. Lots of good things have come up post-pandemic, but obviously it also caused the great resignation, which is um, felt in the US a lot more than other parts of the world. Less people went back to their jobs, but now with obviously that everything that's um, happening in the world, we may or may not have a few tough times ahead at the starting at the end of this year or so. I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm just thinking it could happen. Now, I think if this does happen, more people will be wanting to go back to the office because they will need work. And I think employees might want to see a bit more of them and everything like that. That's just my opinion. I'm not in office space. I'm just a, running a recruitment business and listening to what people are saying and what our clients are predicting certain hires are going to go. What do you, both of you think? You're obviously a lot more involved and invested in this space than I am in terms of the future of workplace. James? Yeah, look, there's a lot of developers that are talking about their offices needing to be more like hotels, and I think that's really talking about the, the feel, the aesthetic, mm-hmm. the standards, and I think that's all a given when you came in here. There was a, you know, what, what I wanted for the reception areas, uh, which probably feels very different to what you'd expect from tower building yeah. in London, but I wanted it to feel like going into an Apple store, that sort of informality, that comfort, and um, you know, I'm pretty happy with the way that's, uh, that's turned out. The analogy I always use is I think the office needs to be more like a university, because if you think about a university or you know, a place of further education, that's where you make you know, long-term uh, social networks, that's where you're encouraged to innovate, that's where you can experiment, that's mm. where you're allowed to make mistakes and and you can manage your own time and so I think that sort of environment and that sort of feel is what we'd like to achieve here. I mentioned before that I think people are trying to use less space but use it more intensely and that's only good for the environment. There's a lot of space out there which isn't going to meet sustainability standards or isn't going to be flexible and we're going to have to find alternative uses for that. Mm. I also think that um, corporates are going to a very uncertain uh, economy. Economic cycles are getting shorter and they don't want to go into those with property risk and property overfits. Mm -hmm. So increasingly they're going to be looking at their landlord partner to take on more of that property risk. And I think they'll pay for that. And that is an opportunity for our industry to broaden our skill set and provide further services. Yeah. Caleb, you might need a few more floors other than floor seven. (laughs) 
I'll take them. Um, <laughs> I, I love I love James's university analogy because if you think about before university when we were in school and you know in the U.S. we were in high school uh, you can call them different different uh, A levels and all that stuff over here. <laughs> I, I can't keep up with all the different levels, but um, before university you had sort of a rigid schedule that you had to go to. You had to sit at your desk and you had uh, no autonomy. You just had to show up to the schedule they gave you. And you go off to university. And now you have freedom. You have freedom to study on your own. You turn up the yeah. classes. Maybe you don't. You hang out with your friends. You do study groups together. You choose when you do what. And then you enter the workforce and you go back to high school and you are told where to show up. This is the old pre-COVID days. Mm-hmm. I think the future office, hashtag the future of work, equals the future of commercial real estate. And to me, I imagine a world where companies are very authentic with the impact they're trying to make on the world. And then they recruit on that basis mm-hmm. and they attract people to work for them who believe in the same mission. Mm-hmm. And when you have someone who is working for a mission and not just a paycheck, yeah. you can trust them more because you know they're going to get their shit done mm-hmm. and you can trust them to do it wherever they want, wherever they're going to do it. They're going to show up and, and do it because they are trying to achieve the same goals. And so I believe that the future of the office needs to be dynamic to be able to enable cultures like that to exist, yeah. which is why I'm very privileged and, and happy to be sitting next to James on this and be working in 22 Bishops Cape because if if you want to know about the future of real estate, you come in this building. Yeah. Something I just want to add to that, Caleb, and that when you get a chance to build building of this scale and size, you know, in the middle of a major city, it's it's terrific privilege, but it's a greater responsibility. We're using an awful lot of the Earth's uh, resources in order to put something like this. And it's really incumbent upon us to make sure that this building is as economically relevant in, say, 50 or 70 years as it is today. So the best offices are going to be those ones that are always able to adapt and morph to different types of occupiers as different mm. workplaces change. Agreed. Because, you know, the, the, adapting things is going to be the, the key word going forward. Yeah. Coming into this office, guys, I asked, obviously I run a recruitment business, so I have 50 consultants who are, well, their job is to literally be on the phone. So this sort of thing, unless you've got about a million meeting friends, because all our conversations should be confidential. Um, so this, I would love to lease this space. Unfortunately, we are probably one of the old school ones that are in just a boring old office in central London, but we're trying to put as many amenities in as we can. As a startup business or scale-up business, everyone's looking for different amenities, whether it's this recording studio, which we're doing a podcast. Next door, there's a place which has like a movie screen where you can put together your own like your videos for your obviously promotional businesses. Across the room, there's also a, I was about to call it a cinema room. I'm missing the word. What's it called, Caleb? A screening room like you have at universities for presentations for events. Caleb told me they have 120 events planned over this year. That's insane. I think for any sort of growing business, you can't see now. Post-COVID, we're looking to entertain, getting that interaction, being able to host and bringing more people into the space, whether it's a client, whether it's the, I don't know, someone joining your company. And I I personally, I think it's great and it's really, really refreshing. And when I entered... I mean, I'm, I'm not 30 yet, but like when I entered work, I think it's eight years ago, the, the office world was very, very different. And I can't imagine what it's been like for some other people. So you need to come down to 22 Bishops Game, check it out. It's 
really sunny in London, so it's amazing. But um, we're unfortunately at the end of this podcast. I want to say thank you to Caleb for, obviously, we met at Cannes Meffin for the first time after knowing each other virtually for quite a few years. I've only just met James today, but obviously know exactly who he is from all my stalking. So thank you both for joining me on the show and um, I'll catch up with you after. It's a pleasure, Louisa. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, pleasure to host you both. Thank you. And now, the final break to complete the story of how TSK helped Kellogg's create their workplace of the future, this time in the words of Kellogg's. Which means, I have to mention, I had a chance to meet Kellogg's European Facilities Manager, Derek McDonald, on a recent trip to Manchester, England. Let's hear what he and his team have to say. We found that we had a natural attrition rate where people, once we opened the office, with no pressure, they started to come back in. Now when you walk in the door here, the flavour that you get, you see all the branding, you see how light and airy and spacious it is. There's so many different spaces to work in, not just standard desks. It just really, really works very well. When we saw it come to life, it was really interesting because you never really think it's going to look like it's going to in the picture, but it did. You definitely know it's a Kellogg's building when you walk into this floor and I love the reaction of everybody who comes here. It's nice to now be proud of a workspace. When you look at the design of the office, TSK really understood that from where our culture is to where we want it to be. We want the people mingling, we want the people to get to know each other and it's very evident in the layouts, the designs and when you look at our brands and our colours and our fawn and our, our product, that's evident here. And that was great working with a team that understood what we were about, what we wanted. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and remember, fortune favours the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. Making a high-quality podcast like this one takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire a podcast company. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you'd build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would help grow your business? We do. Contact jason at apodcastcompany.com and let's talk.